This is Existential, the podcast that reminds us that we're human first before we're anything else. And from that place, we can hear each other's stories and experiences as we wrestle with issues of justice, faith, and culture. I'm your host, Corey Leak. Thanks for listening. All right, Existential today on the podcast is Tori Williams Douglas, who I have very quickly become a huge fan of just in the brief conversation we were having before I hit record on this podcast. Um, She is an anti-racist educator, a writer, content creator, and just a person who seems to want to fill the world with genuine goodness. So Tori, thanks for, for being willing to come on the podcast today. Oh, thank you so much, Corey. I'm really excited. Well, so you grew up in Portland, Oregon, which I've never been there. My wife actually uh, said not too long ago that she like that she would want to live there, which I I don't understand why she would say that. Maybe you could convince me that Portland is, is awesome. But like, <laughs> awesome. what t- tell tell us about Portland for those of us that have never lived there or even been there. Yeah. Um, so Portland is a very, uh, very interesting place as, uh, you know, a lot of people have now recently kind of discovered that, um, Oregon was founded as like a white supremacist state. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, the, the original constitution said that, that black people couldn't live here. Um, oh, which I realize as I've been like doing my own white homework, um, that, it's like, oh, okay, like this is like that was never that was never really the case, right? Like it wasn't ever the case that black people didn't live here um for the mm. entirety of the history of the state. It was just illegal on paper. Um and so I'm sure people I'm sure there were consequences for that, right? I'm sure that people mm-hmm. were right. I'm sure people suffered for for living in a in a state where they were not allowed to be, but um yeah, so Portland is a very like very kind of strange city um it's the least diversity in the country i believe like oh, major wow. city yeah um and I, I i actually i really like it here honestly um there are a lot of there are a lot of white progressives um which i mean if you have to choose white people like who else are you going to choose <laughs> obviously the white progressives um so like they're clearly at the top of the top right? of the heap, yeah. but you know they yeah. they have like they have their own sets of of issues um and so yeah i actually like i i love the pacific northwest i love being able to like go out and go to the water or like go hiking yeah. or go to the coast or the mountains like there's just there's a lot of there's a lot of options for like being outside during like non-pandemic times so um yeah exactly there and it's you know it's it's a it's a small big city or maybe i should say a, a big small city <laughs> hmm. um and you know it's it's definitely like grown and changed a lot but i don't know i just i really i really love it and like there there definitely are people of color that live here like i don't want to like dismiss or like ignore that fact you know a lot of um a lot of Native, excuse me, a lot of Native American people were actually displaced here, like tens of thousands of them when they were removed oh, wow. from their from their land. Yeah. Um, so this was like one of the top cities that a lot of indigenous people wound up in um, in the country. So, yeah, there's there is diversity. You just kind of have to be intentional about and you're going about finding it. But 
it's it's not the, it's not the worst place. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> well, so and, and it it is living there has kind of been um, the catalyst for your work that you do. You've got a website and it's it's white homework. Um, and mm-hmm. you mentioned on your website that like living in Portland and seeing like racial disparity uh, was what really compelled you to do anti-racism work. I'm super curious how you, because you describe as a kid, like you're just, you know, a teenager or like that you're noticing racial disparity around you enough to actually move you. Like what was it about your experience that young and what were you actually seeing um, while you were that young that made you go, I'm going to devote my life to doing anti-racism work? Yeah. So, I mean, as, as a really young kid, you know, my dad was my absolute favorite person in the world. My dad's a mm. black man and, um, he's just, he's a delight. Everybody adores him. And, um, side note, know, so, I hope my, I hope my daughters talk about me like aww, that in a couple I'm sh- of years. I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm absolutely. I mean, I hope they, they do right now. Right now it's mostly get out of my room. So hopefully <laughs> that's, that's also fair. That's couple, also legitimate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so, you know, and, and, um, we like, we didn't watch a lot of TV, but, um, you know, my dad was really into Star Trek. And so this is like around mm. the time, like next generation was on. And so like Shorty and Worf were like our two kind of favorite characters. And it was just really interesting to me living in such a, um, a city with like so little diversity that when I would see, like I would get really excited to see other, other black people um, around mm. just like around town and quickly began to notice, like even as a really, really like little kid that um, like I was more likely to see black people um, who were unhoused or struggling with ho- uh, like homelessness um, wow. or um, you know, it, compared to seeing unhoused white people, right? Like I just noticed mm. that there was like a disparity there really, really young. Um, and so that made me sad, obviously. Mm. I didn't have, right. you know, I didn't have a lot of answers for like why that would be. Um, and, you know, I wasn't exposed to I guess any kind of like anti-racist work at all mm-hmm. or, or, or writing as a child. Um, you know, my parents kind of uh, subscribed to the colorblind model of like, just don't see it. Don't mention it. We're all the same. Oh, wow. And oh, wow. so, um, you know, I really, that, that was definitely a very kind of um, foundational experience for me as a kid. And so, you know, that was something that I noticed. And then, you know, as I got older, it wasn't initially something where I was like, I'm going to be an anti-racist educator. But, um, you know, once I, once I um, got pregnant with my oldest child, I started reading all of this data about like health outcomes, like birth outcomes for, for black mothers. And I was like, what is happening? Like, this is, wow. And like really started kind of like digging into like actual papers that had been written and like published um, to try to figure out. It was like, why is, why is it that like, you know, we're three to four times more likely to die 
um, during like in, in labor or immediately following it. And, um, you know, that, that was, again, I was like, what, and nobody's talking about this. You know, I'm raised, I was very much raised in like a pro-life sort of environment where it's like, and I was like, how can you, how are these people claiming to be pro-life when there's all of these black mothers who are dying? Um, and so that really was like, this is, this seems really, really wrong. Um, and so that kind of, you know, it's like turned my head a little bit. Yeah. You know, yeah. I've always been like a deeply kind of insatiably curious person. Um, mm. and so that was, that was one thing that like, again, like really kind of stood out to me. Um, and then I think that what the, I guess the, the major kind of catalyst was when, um, when Michael Brown was murdered mm. and, going, okay, there's something like fundamentally wrong with this system that people are trying so hard to protect and say, yeah. not, not just to protect, but to say that it is functionally flawless. Right. Right. And if we are dying at these massively disproportionate rates in systems that are functionally flawless, like I think that maybe the narrative here is, uh, inaccurate. We'll like just right. give people the benefit of the doubt and say like the narrative is inaccurate. Um, yeah. And so that was that was really kind of where I started speaking up, um, speaking about um, anti-racism and like doing a lot more research and and self-education. And um, so, yeah, that was like I you know I kind of like hopped onto hopped onto social media and people did not like what I had to say and I just kept <laughs> saying it and you know two 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 ish years later. <laughs> <laughs> I wound up with like all these people following me after losing like two thirds, probably at least of my Twitter followers Wow! <laughs> for speaking up against like police brutality, which like, God forbid we speak up against right, police exactly. brutality. Um, yeah. and yeah, so I just kind of, it, it was, I kind of fell into it in a way. Yeah. But well, I'm really grateful you, that I did. Yeah. And, and I'm grateful that you did. And you, um, you're, public image seems very approachable. Um, one word that comes to mind is bright, like and fun and vibrant. And I asked this question not because um, that sh- is, is, is like super abnormal. I asked, what I'm about to ask is only is because it's the work is grueling and there is a lot of negativity that comes uh, towards people, and I would say, especially people of color who are anti-racist in how they approach their lives, uh, their social media, their platform, what they say in public, and the, the things they have to say, they tend to be met with a lot of resistance, met with a lot of gaslighting, met with insults and denigration, and 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 it's just kind of grueling work. And mm-hmm. you seem to maintain a sense of joy, compassion. Um, you 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 seem to have a very nonviolent um even when you're rhetoric when you're talking about people and and mm-hmm. and dealing with people how in the world <laughs> do you maintain <laughs> that like given all that comes at people who are who are being anti-racist in the way they live their lives 
Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that I've always had like an irrationally kind of like optimistic outlook predisposition to my to, uh, to my personality um which is not something that i can necessarily explain you know it's the whole like nature versus nurture thing right um right. and um yeah it absolutely is hard work and i have learned over many years um kind of the importance of of caring for myself right and also the importance of understanding that in work like this that is so brutal emotionally um you know if if not for a lot of activists physically brutal um mm-hmm. it's just so demanding mm-hmm. um yeah but if you can't also find joy in that you're gonna burn out um mm-hmm. and i plan to be doing this work for the rest of my life <laughs> and so wow. to me like understanding like okay i'm in this for like the long haul like this is the whole it's a marathon not a sprint who said that i can't even remember whatever um (laughs) somebody did somebody said that somebody smarter than me um and just kind of like mentally being in a space where one i want to be able to find joy and like i think that pursuing shared humanity like fighting against white supremacy is is absolutely valid but at the same time pursuing our shared humanity as, as people, as individuals, as communities. Um, like that, that to me does spark joy. Like I'm, I'm an extrovert. Like I love to be able to connect with people and like, yeah, I do get burned out. I do like say nasty things that I regret <laughs> on Twitter <laughs> about how white people just waste my time and my money and my energy. I'm never talking to any of them again, um, you know, and take my ball and go home for a little while. But um, I'm very, to me, like maintaining kind of like my, my mental health and, um, you know, being self-aware, knowing when to step back. Like, it's just all kind of like trial and error and like learning what works for me and for my personality. And, you know, again, like I love, I love hiking and like live in such an amazing place to be able to do that and just to be able to spend time like in the forest and it's like I can you know I can walk like six blocks and like be in the forest and just like sit oh my God. and just go wow. and sit down like that's just that's just the kind of place that Portland is it's like I can just and and that you know there's all this data now that says that like oh yeah just going and like sitting in some trees is like really great for your nervous system <laughs> so oh my gosh um you know I, know I, I like yeah. And, and I think like, again, like these are things that I'm like, oh, like we can like build community around like our shared humanity and like our caring for ourselves and, and our nervous systems, caring for our kids. And like, you know, I think that part of the reason, reason that like policing, for example, is the way it is, is because it's such a traumatizing job for the people that are doing it. The, yes. the only real options are that you burn out or you become a really horrifically violent and angry person. Like those are really the only two outcomes for a lot, you know, I would say most, most departments, right? Like entering most departments. Um, And, you know, if, if you've talked to somebody who's been a cop for 30, 40 years, like you probably know what I'm talking about. Um, So like understanding that um, like the goal is like, creating an environment for for people to be fully themselves right to be to show up as fully themselves and not have to change and not have to um leave parts of themselves at the door um 
like that to me is absolutely worth pursuing. And I know that like, I won't see it, right. I won't see the work being done, done in my lifetime. Um, and, and I, you know, I'm okay with that. Um, but at the same time, like, yeah, I do try to appeal to that sense of shared humanity. Um, and I think that that is something that we can celebrate even in the midst of, you know, fighting white supremacy. For sure. Now, so let's talk about white homework for uh, for a little bit, because I know that there are a lot of people of color who are outspoken about race and racism that have taken somewhat of a stance that says it's not my job to educate white folks, um, that, that taking the time to like sit with them and coach them. And, um, and certainly I, I would say that I don't know that it's worth anybody's time to try to convince white folks that, that racism is actually still a thing. I think that's a complete waste of black folks time. Mm-hmm. However, you know, there are folks that are like, you know, they're like, I, I don't have the bandwidth. I don't have the energy. Um, what is it that made you decide that you, that you wanted to help white folks in this way? Um, and, 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 you know, start doing or, or leading the charge for white homework. I mean, ultimately it was, it was fairly self-serving. I was like, I want the world to be a a better place for myself Mm. and my kids. Like I want to have better health outcomes, you know, like I don't, I don't want to be like dumped into this pile of like, oh, here's a non-person who's coming in for healthcare treatment. Like we don't really care about what her experiences are. Um, So, I mean, in a way it was, it was very much self-serving, but I also think that like we have this, um, we sort of have this system in terms of like anti-racism where there is absolutely like a place where it's like white people do need to sit down and, and, and be quiet and learn. Right. Like Mm. if class is in session, like you need to shut up and you need to like (laughs) be educated by people who have experience and knowledge that you do not have. Right. That your like white eyes do not allow you to see (laughs) and experience. Um, and so, but to me, I it kind of made it, um, I, the analogy that I end up using a lot is med school. Right. And I think that we have this idea that we want, we want white people to show up and, and be allies in, in the right ways, right. Not to co-opt, not to take the mic, not to like make it about themselves. Right. Um, but we do still want their support. Um, And so being able to like go into a space and know how to provide that support like that, that takes training. Right. And, you know, again, it's like a lot like you would not give, you would not give a scalpel to a high school senior and say like, here, please do this like heart surgery, you know, like that's not, that's, that's not how it works. And also like you can sit and you can observe, right. And you're supposed to, you're supposed to sit and observe and watch and take notes and like, you know, go over the entire process of like, this is what I am supposed to do when somebody at work makes a racist comment. Right. Um, Mm. but there also needs to be a place where white people can like practice those skills <laughs> um, right. yeah. in yeah, order yeah. to, you know, so it's, so you're not making things worse. Right. And I think mm. that that is very much, um, I think that that, I think that work is, is valuable. Um, and to me also, like as someone who grew up as, as, you know, as a black child and now woman in a very, very white city, um, 
you know, there are things that I need to learn about the indigenous mm. people who live in my community, right? Mm. And yeah. um, the people who's, who, you know, my, my ancestors, you know, not, you know, not on my dad's side, but my, my ancestors came <laughs> over here from Europe and, and, you know, stole their land. Like, and so I have, I have a moral responsibility as someone who benefited from that to go, okay, what do I do to make this right? Right. Like, what do I do to correct this theft? Um, so hmm. I think that there is, I think there's space for all of us, you know, to learn. Um, but I did ultimately, I ended up calling it white homework because I want, it's not for, it's not for beginner beginners. Like if you are not okay with the fact that as a white person, you still live a racialized existence and you have hmm. a racialized body and you move through the world in a racialized space, just like everybody else of every other wow. shade. Um, yeah. Like if you're not to that level, you probably aren't ready for white homework. Um, right. So you have to be okay with the fact that you are white. And then it's like, what am I going to do with this? Right. I have been given an asset. I have been given a privilege. I have been given unearned space in the world yeah. to yeah. exist. How am I going to leverage that now to make the world a more equitable place? Wow. Can you talk just a little bit more about the the notion that white folks live in a racialized space and in a racialized body and move in a racialized way? Like I, I think there's, I think that was so rich, and I just want to hear a little bit more about that. Like I'm, I'm super mm. interested. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that you kind of see, um, you kind of see this like. I'm trying to think of how it's it's almost like an allergic reaction right when you start talking to white people about whiteness right like they kind of yeah. get this rash <laughs> they're like okay please like what do i what do i do to get this rash off of me like where's the cream where's the spray like i don't want right. to talk about this this is making me uncomfortable um and so i think that um you know under like whiteness was created and coded in such a way as to be invisible right it is the mm. um it's merit mm. that is unearned but in order to in order to have unearned merit just like out of the gate you can't talk about really how you got it you can't talk about how you got to that point and um i think that you know, I, I think that this is, I've been wondering about this and kind of kicking this around in my head. I think, you know, I think a lot of this is like the reason that we don't talk about like how much we get paid, right? Because white people get paid more for the same work with the same like skill set and the same amount of education as, you know, compared to anybody else, right? Yeah. Except for like yeah. in, in STEM, in STEM fields, like Asian people get paid more probably. Um, there's like one exception in like a certain segment of society. Um mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but and even and even if you break that down it's like only certain only like japanese korean and chinese people get paid more right and if you're talking about like thai people or like filipina people or you know cambodian people it's like they're still like at the bottom with with you know all the other brown people um wow. and wow. so i think that like being able to really dig into like the racial hierarchy and understand that like everybody lives a racialized existence and it's either it's either an asset or it's like a liability mm. that's where we have to kind of start the conversation right like when we really like I, you know i think that dr kendy's book um 
why am I thinking, oh, how to be an anti-racist? <laughs> like, why yes. is this not, why is this falling out of my head? Um, he kind of like digs into the, like the history of the creation of the racial hierarchy and like where exactly that came from, like whose ideas were used and like where it was kind of, where it was kind of like put into the narrative is just, you know, it's like, oh, this is just fact, right? Like mm. we've created mm. this system, we've created this hierarchy and this is just fact. And, you know, the ideal human is a white man and then everybody else kind of falls into place underneath that. Um, and so, yeah, I think that it's like, no, you're still, we're, just, we're still all human and we're still all engaging on like this, on this, you know, with the same, we're still all engaging like in the same, and it's like we're all in the same arena as it were, right? We're all playing the same game, but some people have been given like these extra advantages right <laughs> these yeah. assists um yeah, absolutely. and so to be able to i think have an honest conversation about race and racism we can't just talk about like the way that blackness is a liability to us you know not mm. not just black skin but like black culture as well we also yeah. have to be able to talk about how whiteness is an asset to white people um yeah in order to have a conversation that gets anywhere right because when you have white people who are thinking like oh well whiteness is the pinnacle of humanity like whiteness is objectivity and neutrality and like being able to being able to discern mm. like what really happened um yeah. we can't we can't you're not going to make any progress when you're using like this is like your is as your like starting point right is is that the white the white observation is neutral um and and mm. unracialized it's like no it's just as racialized as blackness and so yeah. um for me that kind of has become fairly foundational in terms of, of how i approach this work is that white people are just as racialized and just as biased by their race as anybody else. And it doesn't, um, you know, having like low melanin does not, <laughs> does not <laughs> imbue you with objectivity. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, it so, yeah. Yeah. That's, that is so good. And I'm glad you, I'm glad you shared that. I think there is, um, a, I, I don't know that I ever voiced it the same way you just did when you're talking about how, whiteness tends to present itself as neutral and objective and able to zoom out and be calm. And it's from that place that we get these notions of, of, of black rage and the angry black man and the angry black woman and, mm -hmm. uh, and all of those things that, that, that whiteness positions over against um, normal human behavior to continue right. to sort of demonize and, and make monsters out of black and brown folks. Like, like I don't, in what you just said, I, I, there's so much to it. And I just don't think I would have ever named it that way. So uh, it's probably why I don't have white homework as a website. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So in, in white homework, I hear the uh, 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 undertone of reparation, but I hear hmm. this like, um, and today I tweeted it and I'm, I'm not, you know, I th I believe this to be true. I would be interested to know what you think of it. Uh, I tweeted that you're basically you're you're either racist or anti-racist. That there's not really any in between. Yes. Um. And and so when you're 
talking and training, and it seems to me that you're actually trying to not just give white folks information, but to equip them with the ability to do something that feels to me like, for lack of a better term, many reparations, them able to um, restore what was stolen, taken, what's broken in the community as a result of their ancestors. Like, could you talk? I just want to talk to you about reparations. I want to talk to you about if you see that in your work. Am I? Am I? Is that a stretch for me to say that that's kind of an undertone to your work, or how, how do you view that? Uh, no, I, I think yeah, I think reparations is pretty much fundamental to <laughs> to the work that I do, um, and I have I've tried to be really clear about that. I'm like, look, this is this isn't for everybody. I mean, it is like reparations is for all white people. I promise. (laughs) But um, in terms of like, this is what we do. This is what is expected of you. If you have the, if you have the financial bandwidth to do this, um, I expect you to do that. Right. If you have the, um, if you have access or opportunities, I expect you to use those, but you know, it's like, oh, I, you know, I'm in college or whatever. I don't have, I don't have cash right now. Like, cool. Like we will get into the nitty gritty of like, you know, what to do in those situations and times when it's like you have less cash, like that's fine. But um, yeah, hmm. I really, I very much have this sort of, uh, I, ha- I have an expectation of white people that you are going to be participating in reparations and, and what that looks like for you specifically might, you know, it's going to vary from person to person. Um, and like, yeah, it's like you benefit, like, again, like whiteness is an asset and you have benefited yeah. from it and you have been able to cash that asset and turn it, in, literally cash it. And yeah. um, you've been given opportunities that other people have not been given. You've been given access and platforms and um, you have, you know, I very much am of the belief that white people have a moral obligation Um White people of goodwill, I should specify, because I think that you're right. Like, there is no point in trying to go and convince, um, convince someone who does not want to be convinced. And I'm not telling anybody like, don't waste your time doing that, right? But, but the people that that Dr. King called, you know, people of goodwill. Um, yes. People, it's like you know, you know that this is unjust. You know that this is unfair. You know that you are at a systematic, like, structural advantage here. Um, so I need you to like jump on board with me with the work that I'm doing because you know that what is happening is wrong. You can see, right? You have a conscious, you have a moral compass. <laughs> so Yeah, for um, sure. Well, reparations functionally is something that really only the government can do. Um, I have kind of built the like part of the reason that I created white homework was to leverage um again, like the access that that white people have to um be able to uh serve communities of color and families of color um and so you know my first my my first like kind of big goal for my patreon is um to be able to start paying rent for like a black or indigenous family for a year just because that is like that's a foundation that you can actually build on right? When you don't have to worry about rent, it's like, oh, I can take care of my health, right? Like I can afford to go to the doctor. Like I can, you know, I can buy a car or like do car repairs. I, you know, I can afford to like 
you know, whatever it is, like I can take a class online because now I don't have to work as many hours. And so I can get, you know, a certificate that will enable me to get a better paying job. Like, and so being able to like, just these really small things, right. That I think white people don't think about it's like okay like skip skip your skip your coffee for a day right like that's yeah. literally all I'm asking like there are enough of you that like yeah. skip your coffee for a day like give me the like five dollars and sixty cents that you were going to give to to Starbucks or whoever and like let's house a you know let's house an indigenous family for a year let's house a black family for a year like let's get to um because that that will change like people's lives right like that that that's the trajectory of someone's life and you know as someone who grew up extremely like in poverty like i know this i know like what a stress this is you know um to to just like be able to try and 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 pay the bills um so yeah what we're talking about reparations um (laughs) (laughs) um yeah i think that until until there is like a government program in place i i you know i just tell people straight up i'm like nope this is your responsibility until that happens. yeah well to and i love that i love the the focus of that i love the intentionality of saying the goal is for my patreon to get to a place where um we're able to pay the rent of a black and brown person for a year that is us as human beings using our shared humanity, using um, our our shared resource to say, Mm -hmm. we're going to do something about what's broken and not wait for someone to show up and fix it for us. We're going to, you know, we're going to, it may not be, um, it may not be our fault, but it is our responsibility. And, and that's what this generation that we're living in, we're, we're living in the fallout of previous generations, hatred and, and, oppression that was forced mm-hmm. on the black folks and we're living in that like the residue of that now and we could all just go well you know if it, white folks could could and lots of them have just gone well it's not my you know i i didn't enslave anybody i didn't do this but it doesn't mean that you don't have some responsibility to try to fix what's there because you do benefit from it like you said but yeah. i that is like god that i was so moved when you said that like i was i just sat back and was like wow that's like such a big deal can can i ask you this question like dr king you, you mentioned what dr king said people of goodwill mm-hmm. what what how would you describe a white person of goodwill um so i think what's so funny to me about that is cuz cuz dr king wrote that in letter from birmingham jail and he was writing mm-hmm. to like the local pastors who were actively trying to stop him from doing the work yeah. that he was doing right the, yeah the white the white and, moderates is who he's writing to yeah and so he he has like I love that he like he assigned like he he pointed out and claimed like their own belief in their goodness right mm. and their own mm. belief in their objectivity and like turned that on its head and said like again you have eyes you can see this injustice you don't get to say mm. now is not the time um right. yeah, and yeah, yeah. so for me like there are some, you know, absolutely, there are some white people, probably half, if I had to guess, that's just the number I'm going with is 50%, where I'm just like, I'm not going to have a conversation with you. Like, it's not that I'm not going to have a conversation with you, but I'm not going to try to convince you, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I might be that's curious cool. about how you landed where you landed, you know, if you're the person like flying the Gadsden flag or whatever off the back of your pickup truck, like, I might be curious about like, what led you to this 
to be that guy. But um, in terms of like white people who think like, I'm not racist, you know, I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm not hurting anybody. Um, those are the people like anyone from I'm anyone from I'm not racist and like racism is wrong. Like if you can say racism is wrong and immoral and we need to do something about it. If you were anywhere on that spectrum from just like the, I'm not racist to like full, like abolitionist. Um, <laughs> that's who I'm talking about when I'm talking about yeah. people of goodwill. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and those are the, those are the people that I think we have an opportunity to, to engage and to move forward. And I think those are the people that, you know, again, that I, I do think that it's, like I said earlier, um, uh, don't even really need to repeat it, but I'm going to. I think it's a complete waste of time that, to try, for mm-hmm. black folks especially, to use our yeah. energies to try to convince people that there's racism in the world. Like I've, I mean, well, it's just, and, and it's I, tell, cool. I tell white people this all the time. I'm like, that, those white people are your problem. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Like, for that sure. is your job. And, you know, I, man, I can't even remember where the research was now. I'm going to have to go and find this and like link to it on my, on my site, I guess, because I, I keep coming back to it. But, um, like having oppressed people like sit down and have conversations with people who are actively oppressing them is, is bad for like your mental health as a person of color, right? Like to try to prove your humanity to someone, um, you know, and, and, and lots of, lots of white moderates think that this is the solution, right? Um, I don't know how many, I don't know how many like talks and and book readings and lectures i've been to where where like the first question right out the gate is some you know middle-aged white guy saying well what if we just had like black teens do ride-alongs with cops excuse me uh no like (laughs) black teens do not need to have more compassion for cops like cops need to get in touch with their own humanity which they rejected when they took that job um oh my gosh and so yeah, to, it's not our job to try to convince like white people that we're fully human. Like that's white people's work, right? Yeah, um, for sure. And so, like, I'm not. I don't. I don't have those conversations with people. <laughs> yeah, and nor should, nor fun, should I anyone. Will, I, yeah, I will make fun of you. I will. I'm not. Gonna, I'm not. I'm not above that. Unfortunately, <laughs> someday. I'll 100%, but if you know, if you, if you want to quibble about that, like, yeah, I'll mock you, but uh, I'm not gonna have a conversation with you. <laughs> So what are what are some small ways that like a white person of goodwill could participate in repairing like the broken this broken system that we've been talking about like the racial divide the oppression of black folks the the brutality towards black bodies the the man the the unhealthy environment that black and brown people live in just by being american what mm-hmm. are some ways that you know again a white person of goodwill could go here's a small way that i can do something about this. Wow. Uh, that is, there are so many things. It's a little bit overwhelming <laughs> to try to think about like, so, like, what do I tell people? Like, cause I tell people this every day. Cause every, this is, I mean, again, why I created white homework is like, but what am I supposed to do? It's like, right. Okay. Like, let's like, let's sit down and like go through this. Like what you're supposed to do is so, I mean, I guess it depends on like where, where you are, right? And like what your what your position is. So, you know, I tell people like, okay, if you have a job, right? You have an employer, um go and 
I, you know, I want you to go and like, look at, if you have a big employer, go and look at like the stats, um, for the people that are employed by your company. If you have a small employer, go and look at your industry and look at the stats and like, look at the racial Mm. breakdown. Does that like reflect the community around you? And is it like, is it people of color who are doing all of the like janitorial work or like maintenance? Like, is it, or, you know, are you seeing like, are people of color being promoted at the same rates as, as your white peers? Like that's something that's super easy that you can do and when you find out what that is if there's a disparity there take it to your boss right like bring Mm. it up in bring it up in in your weekly meeting like your team meeting like oh by the way i did some research and i found out that you know there are like you know 15 percent of our community is is like latinx and indigenous and there i see one i see one latina woman sitting here so like what is that about (laughs) yes so um yeah i mean it's it's there's so much that people can do it just kind of depends on like where you are you know if you're a stay-at-home mom like go to the library and check out books that feature kids of color right not just like animals (laughs) um (laughs) And if you don't see them, ask for them, ask for diverse books, right? Like to me, it's, there's, there's so many different options. Um, yeah. The, the, and, and like, this is very much what I, I mean, with like my white homework courses, this is like specifically what I tell people. I'm like, okay, if you were in the situation, like I want you, it's like, go and find where, where's the nearest um, like Native American museum. Go there mm. when there's not, mm. when there's not a pandemic, like, go there and then see if there's somewhere that you can volunteer. Right. Um, and yeah, showing up in ways that are, so my friend, Sonia Gibbs, who is amazing. Um, we were talking back in January when it was permissible to, to have coffee with people. And, um, you know, one of the things that she said to me was white people need to have a job. And I was like, you know what? I completely agree with this. White people need to have a job they need to be trained for that job. And that job is not to be in charge. Um, so when, you know, with creating the actual like white homework packets that I have like on my website, um, it was like, okay, go and educate yourself, figure out where you fit in this puzzle, find the people that are doing the work that you yourself are interested in, in your community. And it gives you like the breakdown of like how to go and find these people. Right. And then Mm. ask them how they need support. Right. Mm. Do they need like a tech, do they need like tech support? Do they need someone to come in and do tech support for them? Right. Like it support. Do they need someone to do graphic design? Cause you know, those people, you know, people who can do that. You know, people who have free time and can do that work. You can show up like one Saturday a week for four hours and do all their social media. Right. Like, you know, people who can, who can volunteer to go knock on doors or, you know, take meals to people's homes or, you know, whatever the case is, like, you know, people who are able to do the work that needs to be done. So just go and ask what work needs to be done and then do it. Um, I think Mm. that white people tend to like overcomplicate (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the work of anti-racism, um, which I guess makes sense, right? When, if you've never done it, you don't know. Um, right. But it's actually really simple, right? It's it's really just using your body if you can and your voice if you can in spaces yeah. to advocate for, like to just repeat what people of color are saying. <laughs> because right. And to show up, like you said. Right. A lot of times what, we're, what we say, like just kind of gets 
it's like oh, okay cool thanks and then it like kind of gets passed over so it's like circle back if you're in a meeting and you're you know you have a black colleague who says something and that gets you know passed over say like hey you know what i heard that comment and i think that that's what we should be doing here um, that's so good you know like name that person by name and say like i completely agree right i think that this is what we should be doing um and yeah anyway there, i have a million I've, ideas so people well i freaking just... i freaking love all that you just said because it's, it's all these <laughs> micro ways that you can like right. just just be a, a, a decent human being and and do something with the awareness that you benefit by you know being white mm-hmm. and that that is a privilege every single day that you go to work every single day you go to the store to school, wherever you are, wherever you live, being white mm-hmm. is advantageous to you. So use that mm-hmm. advantage yeah. in spaces where people of color could use the help. I mean, it's just, it's really simple when you put it that way. And I love mm-hmm. the examples you gave. Um, and at this point, I think for a lot of white folks, it really just comes down to a willingness to just yeah. do it. It's yep. no longer like, I don't know what to do. It's just such a big problem. It's so overwhelming. It's now just that like, there is a cost associated with yeah coming alongside people of color and being willing to make their plight your plight. And that's where, like, I think we probably find a lot of white folks still frozen because they're like, "Ah, I just don't know if I really want to pay that price. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, but I just, Tori, I'm so glad that you came on. And, and I, I, I hope that everyone listening, if you're not already, um, that you can go over to white homework and take a look at Tori's website and sign up for, um, the courses, the modules, whatever she has there, and also to um, uh, visit her Patreon because I think these are uh, two ways that that you, if you're a white person listening to this, or even if you're a black person listening to this, that we can all be involved in anti-racism work, even if we're not activists. So, mm-hmm. Tori, is there anything else that you like are, are dying to say to everybody before we sign off on this podcast? Oh my goodness! Um, <laughs> stop using, stop using. Um, colonial stop using colonization as a buzzword i don't know like sorry that was like so bossy it's not usually i usually do not police people's language like that that was very weird um you know but you it was burning i asked you for what was burning and you had to you had to say that so there you go oh my gosh i'm so yeah i'm, I'm such a i'm such a nerd i'm sorry <laughs> well thanks for being here i really really appreciate your time today yeah thank you so much well, that's it, folks. That was pretty simple, pretty helpful stuff from Tori. Tori, thanks for coming on the podcast. Uh, I'd like to thank Comfort Fit for the music. Once again, the song you're listening to is called Sorry. Thank you to all of you who are a part of the Patreon community. If you'd like to join that community and be closer to our work, uh, the link to that is in the show notes for this episode, as, as well as ways for you to connect with Tori and her work. I'd like to thank all of you for listening, subscribing, for reviewing and rating the podcast. And thank you to all of you who are helping us to contend for a better world, one conversation at a time.